Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. Every week I talk with authors and experts to expand our understanding and appreciation of these pets who share our lives. To hear earlier episodes of this show and download podcasts of other informative pet talk radio shows that I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. If you want to stay in the know when it comes to doing what's best for your pets, follow me on Facebook and Twitter. You'll find me at Tracy Hotchner. That's Tracy with an I-E. Have a pet-related question or comment? Post it on my page or tweet me. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. I also produce the Philanthropic Dog Film Festival, sponsored by the Petco Foundation, which I take around the country celebrating the love between dogs and their people while benefiting the animal welfare groups that bring them together. More information is at dogfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company whose owners want to feed their own pets and yours with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat, using the same care, ingredients, and facilities where they make food for people. Named after their rescued kitties, W.E. for Webster, R.U. for Rudy, and D.A. for Vanessa, Waruva's owner, David Foreman, is passionate about good nutrition. Their new Caloric Harmony Dry Food for Dogs is formulated on the principle of how the body actually metabolizes food and the importance of high-quality protein in the diet. Not all calories are created equal. Our pets' bodies and ours digest Twinkies and chicken breasts quite differently. Look for Waruva wherever fine natural pet foods are sold. I have three wonderful women who are going to be with me here today. Allison Eastwood has created an amazing website called Foster Fur Kids. We're going to talk about what she's up to in the rescue world. Suzanne Byrne will be here with her book, The Dogs of Littlefield, and the idea of what would happen in suburbia if they started poisoning dogs because they didn't want a dog park. Uh, but it's not a grim book. It's a fun book. And Nancy McKenney will be here. She's the director of Marin Humane, which used to be the Marin Humane Society and is now Marin Humane, which was my beneficiary of the Dog Film Festival when I was just up there and will be again next year. But here I go to meet Allison Eastwood, who I think is doing some extraordinary things at the Eastwood Ranch Foundation. Allison, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I really it's appreciate a pleasure. It. You're you're a hard worker in the in the pet world. You've won all kinds of awards and gotten all kinds of attention. The Eastwood Ranch Foundation has was it something you created quite some time ago or more recently? How how long has this been a big part of your daily or weekly awareness? What's going on with animals in the homes? We started uh, in about 2012. Um, we filed, you know, went through all of our paperwork to be a nonprofit and sort of figured out what it is that we wanted to do. And, and, you know, predominantly here in Southern California, uh, where we're based, uh, we do a lot of, you know, dog and cat and uh, domestic rescue out of high kill shelters. And then, you know, we also work on behalf, uh, of other rescues, uh, other organizations. I mean, one of our sort of mottos is, 
uh, is that we, we believe in working together with other like-minded uh, rescues and advocates and, and, you know, people in animal welfare so that we can actually make a difference, you know, because there's just so much need and it, it's hard when you're out there alone. So we, we try to support all kinds of people doing, doing great work, too. I think it's a a really great point of view because, in fact, there are the big ones. You know, there's NKLA and there's the big ones. And then there's lots of small ones. Last year when I was in L.A., I benefited Downtown Dog Rescue, which is the Dogs of the Homeless down on Skid Row. And the Lang Foundation, Jillian Lang, has been doing this for her entire adult life. And there are many other groups. And and the idea that they're working in opposition to each other or in competition with each other is so sad because, as you say, there's so many animals that need help, but you can't think, well, I can't give to this place because I gave to that place. And you've become the, the Eastwood Ranch Foundation becomes the place that rescues can sign up with to get food and beds and leashes and kitty litter and vet care. I think it's really great that you think of yourself as a cohesive force in the rescue world because there isn't enough cohesiveness, right? And there's kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, everyone has their sort of ways of doing things. A lot of rescues don't like the way other rescues do it. Yes. And, you know, everyone's sort of particular. And it's a very, very passionate thing to do because you've got lives on the line. And it's, you know, you're seeing, you're going to these shelters. You're seeing just the horrors of what's going on. So it's it's tough out there. And it wears on you and it wears on people. And a lot of times, you know, rescues don't always get along. So we try our best to always remain really neutral, do good work. I'm always learning. You know, I love to learn from other people who have been doing it longer than I have. You know, I have my heartaches and, and my stumbles just like everyone has. Yes. Um, but I think I think that, you know, we'll make a, a greater impact on helping animals if we can all find a way to really pool together and, uh, you know, and tackle some of the real big issues and problems out there. It's interesting that larger cities, be it New York or L.A., where there's a lot of people, a lot of animals and a lot of money and a lot of social strata seems to have a little more of this infighting than maybe smaller places that have a smaller pool of people and pets even. But it, it is a shame that that is kind of the human aspect of it. That's just what humans do, right? They just have to kind of get yeah. into a hierarchical situation. I love that you're the one saying, I'm not passing judgment. I'm just here to be here for everybody. Let me somehow help you all. I love that idea rather than thinking, well, I can make my own place where animals can come and be rescued one at a time. I, it, I love yeah, the idea. I mean, I, There's, I, I yeah. try to take the ego out of it. And I, yes. I, I just try to be of service to the animals. And honestly, the fighting and the, and the, you know, the discourse between other rescues or people who are doing this or shelters even, you know, it doesn't help the animals at the end of the day. So why bother, you know? Absolutely. It and it really also, doesn't. it burns the people out. Then people get crabby and, and, and instead of being there, just all doing these good deeds, it, it becomes all this human stuff. It becomes kind of like junior high. It's like, whoa, that's not fun. I, I love the idea of foster fur kids. I love the idea. And this is a new idea that you have, right, as part of the Eastwood Ranch Foundation, that you're going to encourage fostering animals, which is just something that is so little understood. And most people wouldn't even know how to begin. When did you realize that fostering was a really big part of the solution? 
Well, it's, it's definitely extremely helpful and it does save lives. And, you know, there's also on the website, you can also sign up to do transportation, yes. which is a huge thing now. Uh, a lot of animals, you know, people rescues can't get down to the shelter if an animal is on the red list and it's, you know, got to get out. You can, you know, hopefully either have a volunteer or a paid transporter go and get the animal to safety so that, um, so that it, you know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, you know, it isn't euthanized. And I think that's a great thing as well, but, you know, we just fostering is one of those things where, you know, it's, it's kind of sad to take an animal out of a stressful shelter environment and then put it right into boarding, you know, and into a kennel environment. Right. When you have a foster, you're taking a traumatized or stressed out animal and putting it in a loving, calm home and giving it TLC, getting the opportunity to temper test it, you know, uh, keep an eye on it, do, you know, do what's necessary to help the animal. And I think it's just so much of a better environment than a lot of rescues. You know, unfortunately, we have to put dogs in boarding because, you know, we if you don't have your own facility or something, you you end up sort of piecemealing things. So. Fostering is a great way to help an animal, and it's such a less stressful environment than, than having to go a different route, I think. It, and it becomes the real altruistic effort on behalf of animals because you don't get that long-term relationship with the animal, which maybe for some people is good. Maybe they don't – maybe they – there are people who are so themselves traumatized by animals that they've loved and have died a natural death at some point that they – I know people that don't want to own another dog or cat because of that, but they love them. So this way they could have them for two days, two weeks, two months, knowing that the good home is waiting for them and they're just part of the fabric of getting them there. And then people who are able to adopt from a foster, they are much more comfortable, I think, because they can talk to that lady or man and get all the details, right, on the animal and feel like it's had a transition. Exactly. It's, it's great. And it's a great way to bring people together. It's a great way to transition. And, and yeah, I mean, I never thought of that. And there are people that are so traumatized by the death of their pet, which is so, you know, understandable. They do become our children and then, you know, and then they can't make that sort of commitment again. So this is a great way to help an animal in need, but, but know that it's just a temporary thing. And, you know, we've got two puppies right now that we're fostering and, and they're going off to their forever home this afternoon. And wow. It's, it's How tough cool. because yeah, you, love them. We, you know, we love them and I'm sure I'll get all teary eyed when, <laughs> yes. when I drop them off and it's, it's really tough, but I know they, they're going to have a great home. The great part is this person is going to adopt them together so that they're going to oh, be nice. their bonded, bonded sisters. Oh. And it's just, you know, we had them for a couple of weeks and it was great. And now it's time for them to And how to go did they on. come to you, Allison? What was their story before they wound up on your doorstep? Well, they came from Barstow Humane Society, which is out on the way to Las Vegas from, yep. from uh, LA. And it's, you know, it's a fairly rural area. It's not, it's fairly, you know, um, poor. And so it, it, they need a lot of help out there. So we try to go all over Southern California to places that we feel need the extra attention or help. And so we, uh, we, these puppies came from Barso, they were dumped there and I don't know the history except that they did have Parvo. So they came out of there with Parvo and they almost didn't make it. 
And fortunately, you know, we were able to get them to the vet and, and, you know, keep them alive. And now they've come through the other side and they're healthy as can be, ready, ready to go. Parvo is some serious stuff, very contagious and pretty deadly. So amazing that those two little lives, you know, would have been down the drain. And here they are about to go to, I'm sure, because of all the people you know in L.A., to some divine home. I mean, love being the most important thing, but there's probably some nice beds and some nice land and some nice walks on leashes. It is really a great feeling. I hadn't actually thought so much about the value of fostering until I realized you had this amazing online resource, Foster for Kids, F-U-R, and thinking, you know, who who would want to foster? For, for who would that be something that they would get positive internal reinforcement? And I thought it would be for people that just can't make a a commitment to eight or 10 or 12 years of life with an animal. So it could be someone slightly older too. I mean, I know people that are getting up in their seventies, your dad's an older man. I mean, they might like to have a pet, but they they would feel guilty. My father's going to turn a hundred in June. Oh my God. I can't even believe it. I don't offer him a puppy. I mean, it's bad enough when I come with my two (laughs) Weimaraners and they like, you know, almost knock them over. He's fine, by the way. He's like 100% physically and mentally. But if he were, if he had a different temperament, he would foster. I mean, there's people around the house and he might think it was charming. He loves dogs. Imagine if he could foster just to give some animal a really nice interim home. So somebody older that is loath to make that commitment because they then they realize they're just going to be leaving their those pets to the next generation with their will. I mean, that's right. not, yeah, no, that's, so, I mean, that's that, a, that great, that's, a good that target. You, yeah, you could target yeah. like older folks. And some of them live in even fancy planned communities that allow dogs, you know, not assisted yeah. living, you know, those kind of fancy places where you don't have to own the house or or, or mow the lawn or right. shovel the snow, in my case. I think it's really a great idea. Have you had activity? You haven't had it going for long this this online resource are you getting started yeah we've got we've got signups going on i mean obviously we have more signups going on in sort of cities right you know with bigger with you know southern california and i've had people reaching out to me throughout southern california but you know it's it's something that's meant to grow it's meant to be word of mouth it's something that you know uh, hopefully, you know, that once you can sort of create a community uh, and people know that there are people in their area, you know, via their zip code that they enter, that they can find people yes. um, to help with a myriad of things. I mean, you could always sign up to volunteer if you couldn't foster. It just connects people together. Um, you know, it's it's up to the rescues and the shelters to to vet these people just like I would if I were adopting out. Right. We always do home checks. Sure. We always make sure the people are on the up and up and have them sign applications and all that stuff. So that's, it's up to the rescue and the shelter to vet these folks, but it's a great way for them to connect and find out who's in your area so that you can be of service. And the other incredible thing is that you provide all the things they might need, the foster family. So they don't have to think, well, wait a minute, I don't have to go out to Petco and spend $99 buying beds and bowls and leashes. You're like, no, no, foster fur kids. Those kids come with all their stuff. 
So you just have to give yeah, them Yeah, we suggest that. We suggest that, you know, it, it's really up to the rescue to negotiate what, right. it, what's happening with the foster. Yep. Some people are willing to pay and volunteer uh, or volunteers. So you have a mixture of both. Uh, people, you know, I actually pay our fosters, not a lot, but a little bit. Oh, how nice. Uh, plus, well, yeah, because I would be spending that money since we don't have our own place yet. I would be spending that money keeping dogs and boarding. So I would rather, you know, we have a couple of great fosters. I have a retired woman who, you know, you were talking about earlier, a little yes. older, who loves animals and her grandkids live somewhere else. And she's got a lot of time and she's perfect. She does transport. Perfect. And she fosters and, you know, I give her a little money to do it and make sure that everything's covered. And she, I think you that's know, really most- brilliant, Allison. If you look at the foster care system for ch- human children, which is a pretty broken system, but it's what we've got, they're all paid. They're paid money yeah. every month they get and they get allowances for clothing. And it, it doesn't mean they're doing it for the money because you I mean, unless you have 12 human children at a time, you can't actually make a living at it. Although there are those who do that very thing. There are those that do that. But yes. this is, yeah, this is simply not a way to make money, but it's simply a way for you to be able to donate your time and still yes. get your costs covered. Yeah, defray you know, the cost. Yeah, we pay 75 cents, you know, for a mile. And, you know, we we pay for fostering here and there we make sure that there's food and supplies and take care of the vet bills smart and um it's great you know i'd rather do that than than have dogs in a boarding situation oh my god yes oh by far and the other thing about transport uh, we're running out of time the other thing about transport is that it's really gratifying i had a, a, a couple of movies in the dog film festival about transporters which is a community people driving without any repayment for their mileage their gas or anything else hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to help transport pets from one place to another. So it's a great idea yes. that you have as part of Foster Fur Kids. It's very rewarding. And for people that don't even want the animal to live in their house, they're part of the fabric of getting it to a new home. Well, I think Yeah, and uh, you bring up another great point too earlier about maybe somebody who's retired or older who likes to go out for drives or likes yes. to, yes. you know, get out of the house. This yep. is a great way for you to go and use your, your car and your vehicle to help an animal, you know, and that, that right there is a huge, makes a huge difference. And it, it improves your quality of life. You did a good deed today. So you get to, you know, you get yeah. to have an extra beer tonight because you it's were It's a so win-win. Good. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> extra beer. Extra beer <laughs> and pretzels. Situation. That's right. So we feel everyone's going to wind up being a happy camper. Well, Allison, you and I will talk about this further um, after the show and figure out other ways that, that maybe the Dog Film Festival can help further your, your mission or radio, because I think what you're doing is great. And I love the idea of being a connective tissue amongst all these groups and, and being there. So you help them find each other. You know, it's great. And those two little yes. puppies. Oh, I can just feel your little puppy tears falling on their faces as you kiss them. Uh, but you know what? what oh, God, you, don't get right? me started. Don't sorry, started. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I can just imagine. Well, I hope they have a great new life. I, I don't doubt that they will. And, and I'm sure that you know, nature abhors a vacuum. It'll only be a matter of hours before their place is taken in your home and in your heart. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for creating (laughs) Thank you. I think it's terrific. Take care. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you. We'll be right back after this quick word 
with Suzanne Byrne and the Dogs of Littlefield. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you by Halo Holistic Natural Dog and Cat Foods, which are made only with whole meats, never any rendered meat meals like chicken meal or byproduct meal. Dogs love meat and cats are obligate carnivores, so optimum nutrition starts with meat that their bodies can best utilize. With responsibly sourced ingredients slow cooked in small batches, independent tests have shown Halo foods are highly digestible so your pet's bodies can absorb the nutrients. When you feed your pet Halo food, at the same time you'll be nourishing less fortunate shelter pets because for every purchase you make, Halo gives a bowl of food to shelters. I am back with Suzanne Byrne and her absolutely unique book, The Dogs of Littlefield. She won the Orange Prize. Oh, how jealous are all we authors. A crime in the neighborhood. She teaches creative writing at Boston College and lives outside of Boston, which means she can come to the Dog Film Festival when I'm in Boston this summer. But this book is absolutely riveting. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to get to be with you. And you're long listed for the Bailey's Prize. Oh, my God, a multiply prize winning human. Well, it's pretty great, this book. It, it sets up a situation that I think anyone who owns a dog, whether they're rural or, or urban, has had that feeling like, uh, if, if I really piss off the non-dog people, what's the worst thing that could happen? And your book <laughs> is about the worst thing happening. So yeah. obviously one doesn't want to give away the, the punchline or the plot, and I'm not even going to say anything until you, you do some readings for us from it, because I think it also gives people a sense of, of your marvelous style and, and, and social awareness, which is, is part of the, the joy of the book, as, as many of the reviews that I read said. So start right at the very beginning, if you would. Okay, I will start at the beginning of chapter one. No one was very surprised when the signs began appearing in Baldwin Park. For years, people had been letting their dogs run free in the meadow to the west of the elementary school without attracting much notice. But once an authorized off-leash dog park was proposed and a petition presented to the Littlefield Board of Aldermen, fierce arguments erupted over whose rights to the park should be upheld, and the town broke into factions. Those who loved dogs and those who did not, at least not in the park. At first, the signs were polite reminders to dog owners to curb and pick up after their dogs. Please respect the park, they read, or the park is for all of us. But as the off-leash proposal gained support among the aldermen, several of whom owned dogs themselves, the signs became more pointed. On St. Patrick's Day, a sign was posted on a telephone pole at the frontier of the elementary school playground, where wood chips gave way to grass and dog-walking parents often congregated after escorting their children to school. Printed in blue ink on the kind of thin, flexible cardboard that comes slipped, slipped inside of men's dress shirts, it read, Pick up after your dog. Aren't you ashamed that you don't? This sign created a small uproar among the parents who objected to its tone, and it was taken down by the custodian. Then, on March 21st, according to the Crime Watch column in the Littlefield Gazette, an unidentified man threatened to shoot an unleashed dog for colliding with his bicycle while he was riding in the park. The dog owner reported this threat to the police. Not long after the collision between dog and cyclist, another sign appeared overnight on a telephone pole, this one at the eastern edge of the park bordering Endicott Road. 
On the back of a brown paper shopping bag in large, crude, black letters was written, Leash Your Beast or Else. It was also quickly taken down, though not before being seen by two gardeners, several dog walkers, and a woman out jogging. A week later, the alderman voted to postpone discussions of the dog park proposal until an independent task force could conduct a site review. And for a while, the controversy quieted. Well, those of us on the East End, of whom there are many dog lovers, and there's a beach, and the beach is worth millions of dollars, you know, it's like the Hamptons beaches. And what's more fun than running on the beach with your dog? Well, the controversies and the heated arguments, whether they're in aldermen's offices or city town hall meetings, it's it's not unique to the, the invented place Littlefield, but you certainly set the tone of it so well in the book, Suzanne, that everyone goes, oh, yeah, been there, <laughs> had that creepy feeling. And, and it just, it sets in motion a whole book of people and situations, but it gets quite dire quite quickly. And the worst that we could imagine actually takes place in a very uh, believable kind of way. When I lived in Rome at one point and had both my dogs there, Roma and Amalfi, who were a Cocker Spaniel and a, <laughs> and a Golden Retriever on their leashes, and I carried poop bags with me, which are unheard of in France and Italy. Nobody picks up after their animals. Anyone who's walked around the streets of Paris can attest to that. I had more than once people yelling at me from a doorway, a shopkeeper, or, and this is in a very fancy part of Rome, shopkeepers, it was in the old, the Centro Storico, with the old historical center that's all pedestrian, I'm going to poison your dog. So oh. when I got your dog, your book, I'm like, you know, you will get so scared because all it takes is a piece of salami with rat poison on it and they can uphold their threat. So let's jump ahead just a few pages to what Margaret, our protagonist of the book, discovers on, on her walk okay. in this very same park. Okay, yes. And you're right. Margaret is one of the several protagonists in the book there. Um, her husband is also one and they're... There's several other characters who get a fair amount of attention, but I would say that you're right. She is kind of the heart of things. Okay, so this is a little bit later in Chapter 1. Margaret was glad to find she had the park all to herself. By 10 o'clock, the dog owners and professional dog walkers who visited each morning had come and gone. Against a taut blue sky, the heavy crowns of oaks and maples were dark green, interrupted here and there by a few gold leaves. Her dog was a black lab, still a puppy at 10 months old, a big, handsome, sleek animal, already almost 60 pounds. She didn't often let him off his leash. Despite months of puppy kindergarten, he didn't come when she called. He rolled in dead things, and he jumped into any kind of water. You accept certain responsibilities, the breeder had told her, when you have a large dog, and one of them is simply holding onto it. <laughs> but the day was so lovely, and he was whining and pulling hard, dragging her across the grass, making the gagging noises dogs make when they lunge against their collars. Oh, for God's sake, Binks. She bent down and unclipped the leash from his collar, watching as he shot across the meadow, immediately realizing her mistake. He ran across toward the woods, divided from the rest of the park by a shallow creek where primordial-looking skunk cabbages flourished greenly in black mud, along with clusters of poison ivy just turning scarlet. 
Ignoring Margaret's cries, he leapt into the creek and wallowed for a few moments before clambering out of the mud and up the opposite bank. Then he shook himself and galloped toward where the pine trees cast jagged shadows onto the bright grass. But instead of running into the woods, he stopped to nose a boulder under a tall clump of sumac, his back legs muddy and gleaming. Margaret hurried over the little wooden footbridge, calling his name, knowing that she'd have to catch him by the collar and haul him away from whatever he had found. The sun was in her eyes, and at first she noticed only sumac, its stalks already turning the chalky lavender that comes to sumac in the fall. Underneath was not a boulder, but something enormous and pale, its coat so short as to make it seem hairless. Teeth bared, huge furrowed face contorted in a snarl, bloodied yellowish foam had collected around the folds of its muzzle. A breeze brushed Margaret's forehead and stirred the tasseled grasses and a spray of goldenrod at the verge of the woods. From deep within the trees came the high, igniting sounds of small birds. In a moment, it would come to her what she was seeing and what she should do about it. But in the vast divide between one moment and the next, she could only stare at the creature, white and motionless, almost too big to be believable, the smooth skin of his underbelly spotted with wide, pale freckles, so exposed, so tender-looking, so innocent and perverse. So that is a pretty dramatic moment when her dog finds this other creature, which turns out to be the huge bulldog of, of a local man. Had you ever personally experienced violence against people's dogs in a community or did was this just that spark of an idea the a what if kind of feeling well this kind of uh battle over an off-leash dog park did happen in my community as it happened it seemed in every community around yes. here whenever i've given readings somebody has said did you write this about our town <laughs> um but while I was attending town hall meetings and reading the local newspaper and thinking about this situation and listening to neighbors um, argue over whether there should be a park or not, um, I did hear a rumor, and it was only a rumor, that somebody had poisoned some dogs on the South Shore. And they didn't say it had anything to do with an argument over a dog park, but suddenly I thought, you know, this turns this whole civic battle into something else where it really starts to become a reflection of some other issues that I, I think are going on in our our world right now around intolerance, around fear. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I thought that this would be such an interesting way to look at things that are usually treated in um, grave and and sort of portentous ways to look at it through the lens of this small community, really a little place, as the title of the book suggests, right, where right. huge forces are at play. And the dogs were an interesting way of thinking about it. I mean, I, I, one of the things that came to me as I was working on this book is how often dogs are used in folklore and literature to stand for fear and depression, the black dog, Ooh, depression. That's very interesting. Um, that's very scholarly being a teacher. Well, I was just starting to think of what, are, what's the point. position of dogs in our world. 
And there are lots of interesting um, folk tales, especially in Great Britain, involving dogs appearing. If there's going to be a death, there will be a white dog that will appear or dogs leading people to safety and then disappearing and nobody ever sees them again. But often they're portents of, of worry of some kind of anxiety. And even when you think of language like, you know, dogged by my worries or hounded by fears right. or something like that. So I thought, you know, that that on a very literal level, this is happening in the, the book that somebody is going after these dogs, whether it's because of the dog park controversy or not. But it's also everybody in the book is afraid of different things and is worried about different things, has their own kind of black dog or dog after them. So it was an interesting way of working very literally with a problem and thinking about something that was larger than that as well. It's, that's a really great point, because when, when you're speaking about the South Shore of, of Massachusetts, not the South Shore of Long Island, right? Right, right, yeah. I mean, all South Shores probably share something in common. <laughs> but you, you make a really good point about intolerance and incipient violence and anger and rage. And it, it does seem as though those social intolerances, which are coming more and more to the forefront, not just in our country, but in all parts of the world, because people are afraid. You know, they have economic stress and they have social stress and they they need to point at something and they need to vent at something or somebody. And it's really interesting. They built a beautiful dog park in East Hampton. It's really nice. It's an actual, not a dog run. I mean, I live up in Vermont and someone said, oh, they're building a beautiful dog run up in Manchester. Well, there's all these fields, I don't know, maybe a hundred acres each, fields and forests that are free for anybody to go in their their land trust. I thought, oh, this must be really fabulous. The girls and I will drive up 30 minutes north to see it. It was the most, it is the most pathetic little thing you ever saw. It's like four foot high, <laughs> chain link, and you could fit maybe 10 dogs in it. And it's, it was, it's bordering a huge playing field that I've never seen anybody play on it. You could easily have made it an acre big. It's the size of a small apartment. It's so funny. And, and I'm sure that the anger and frustration of those who, didn't have dogs, a lot of money had to be raised to put up these silly chain link fences. They're four feet high. Uh, you know, right. the, the dog in the book could have easily gone over it, that lab, you know, the young lab. But it's interesting well, I, how it taps into people's rage at each other as being the yeah. other. You have a different, you have a different um, set of morals or ethics or priorities than me. So how do I get back at you for that instead of accept you and find a way to live in harmony, right? Well, yes, I think all of that is true. And also this question of who has what rights to things. Yes. Whose rights are more important Mm -hmm. than other people? And it was an interesting way to sort of distance that question by using dogs instead of people as I was um, addressing, you know, that that question of who has the right to this park, whose pursuit of happiness is more important. Yes. Um, But it, and I think when you when you can step away from those questions a little bit, you can you can look at them a little more clearly. And that's another thing that this particular battle um, and and using dogs to be the the focal point allowed me to do that wouldn't have been as possible if I were writing about children. Also, it wouldn't have been um, much of a satire if I was poisoning children in this book. <laughs> but, <laughs> Apologies to dogs everywhere, and I'm a, a great dog lover and have a dog. Um, but I did realize that there are certain there's certain places that 
I didn't think I could go with a satire. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. But those of us that are overly invested in our dogs, of course, think what, satire. This is a tragedy. I mean, multiple dogs right. get poisoned. And I know you mean it as a social satire, and I know exactly what you mean. But the book is really compelling. It, it doesn't feel satirical when reading it. It's a little no. anxiety provoking because everyone does have these anxieties, but particularly the dog owners. And the dogs of Littlefield is 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 a wonderful, it's just a wonderful entertainment as a book, which is always a pleasure when when you also have a, a higher motive as a as a writer and as a thinker. But the the inclusion of dogs in our lives and, and how they and how they make those of us who have them very happy and those who don't very angry. And it's that right. anger that I think you probably were really brilliant at tapping into because it does feel sadly universal. You know, wherever someone's well, lived, if they've hated you for the barking dog next door or the fact that the dog dug up something or the fact that the dog barked at their child and now their child doesn't like the dog. You know, no, no teeth were involved in the interchange, but everyone has like their territory. My kids' exactly. development and your dog's, you know, freedom to speak his mind. It's a exactly. wonderful book, Suzanne, and, and it's no wonder that it's long listed for the Bailey's Prize. What is the Bailey's Prize, by the way? The, Bailey, the Bailey's Prize is the Orange Prize, but the Orange Company decided they didn't want to administer the prize anymore, so Bailey's Irish Cream Star. has taken over. Oh, my <laughs> so God, that's prize. cool. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing you can market with the word orange, whereas Bailey's, we all know what Bailey's is, right? Exactly. Well, Everyone can have a nice bottle of it. Exactly. You absolutely deserve to win if any of us are allowed to vote. However it works, if it's at all a democracy, those of us who love dogs and those of you listening who might like them but really think people are too invasive with them, The Dogs of Littlefield is the book for you. Thank you so much, Suzanne Byrne. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. We'll be right back after this quick word with Nancy McKenney. This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, who has his own cats-only clinic in Colorado. He's devoted his life to inventing innovative litters for the health of all members of the family, and now he has broken new ground by creating a new dry and canned food for kitties called Clean Protein. Clean protein was inspired by the protein levels found in a cat's natural prey. And 90% of the protein in the clean protein kibble and cans is animal-based, not the plant-based ingredients in traditional dry cat food like grains, potato, vegetables, and fruits that are high in oxalate and lead to rapid metabolization, which actually increases your cat's hunger. The primary ingredients in Dr. Elsie's clean protein are the highest biological value proteins available. And the result is that your cat's appetite is satisfied longer without compromising her health. If you want to feed dry food to your cat, even as part of her diet, make the healthier choice. The proof is in the protein. I am back with Nancy McKenney, who runs the Marin Humane Society, which is now called Marin Humane, by the way. We had such fun together in Marin County over President's Day weekend when the, the, the skies opened up and the winds opened up and Nancy and I were blown around with hundreds of people and their dogs coming to the Dog Film Festival, of which Marin Humane was the beneficiary and couldn't have wished for a more delightful partner, smiling with her knee-high rubber boots as if it wasn't the least bit strange for us all to be very soggy people in a beautiful theater. Nancy, welcome to the show, and congratulations on all the great work you've done 
from her inhumane over the years and are now taking it into a new era. That's pretty exciting, right? Oh, it is. And thank you for such a wonderful film festival. I'm so excited we get to say it's going to come back. Oh, it's coming back. It's coming back. It's coming back it next President's Day weekend. And uh, and we're going to make sure that the Marin, that Marin Humane is even more front and center. We're going to make sure that even more good things happen for you in terms of visibility and financially and all the rest of it. it it's just a pleasure to be able to to have a beneficiary that has been around for so long, such an integral part of the community, and servicing not just people that want to adopt or give up dogs and cats, but many other small animals and wildlife as well. You have you have to wear a lot of hats, don't you? We do, but that's the, the fun part of our work here at Marine Humane. Uh, we have been around for a long time, which is great, because we know the community, we, we're well-established, have a good reputation, at the same time, we know a lot of our community goes, what do you all do? <laughs> your, your old logo had the dog and a cat, but now you're saying that you're helping with, you know, helping with injured deer and wildlife, right, right. adopting that rabbit. So, um, so we're very excited about our new identity and our new brand and, and have been working on it really for almost a year and, and really getting the, the voice and the messaging um, spot on and, and new and refreshed at the same time. So... We do handle um, more than dogs and cats, and, um, you know, Marin County just being north of San Francisco, we, we really are both urban and a rural community, and therefore that's why the mix of animals and mix of animal issues that we've been working on since 1907. And what about coyotes? I mean, like animals that aren't necessarily injured but could pose a danger to owned animals. Is that part of – you have animal control officers who are out there – kind of helping keep the animals and the, and the community safe. Is that an issue at all where you are? Oh, a lot. Between deer and coyotes, I would say those, those are the topics that not only do we get calls about what should we do or that they've been injured or people are, are nervous about seeing them in their community, right. but we spend a lot of time educating the community about how to peacefully coexist and how to recognize their role in our environment and in, in, in their habitat and how we can, as human beings, uh, you know, appreciate them but also keep our distance and not feed them and not get them acclimated to the human touch, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of our work, a lot of our officers are actually doing more social work and more educational work than being the, um, you know, the enforcer of animal laws in our community. But that's a lot of um, education and, and appreciation about our environment and all animals that uh, we coexist with. And, and, and just to understand, that even though they're animal control officers, you're still a private organization dependent on private donations, right? It doesn't come from the tax base. Mm-hmm. Right, right. We're one of the rare uh, humane societies that still contracts with an entity, a government entity or a group of, of government entities in our case, to provide 24-hour day service on taking animal complaints, reports of cruelty, um, picking up running animals running at large, um, reuniting animals back to their guardians, and also processing the dog licensing, which is one of the tools or one of the funding sources for the cities to pay us for that service. So a lot of humane societies over the year have dropped their contracts and felt they just wanted to be the the private humane society in doing education and adoption type of services. But we really pride ourselves on being able to be 
I would say the one-stop shop for uh, <laughs> Marin. So they can call us for any questions related to anything to do with animals. And, you know, if we're not the right agency, we, we know who to refer them to or to help them with their, their um, questions or their concerns. It's really valuable because it's, it's very frustrating to live in a place like the Hamptons where there is a lot of wildlife and a lot of flying wildlife. And there's a, you know, there's a wildlife refuge, but how do you reach them? And if you find that injured, I don't know, is it an eagle or is it a sparrow? I mean, people mm-hmm. don't know. They're city mm-hmm. people, right? Someplace right. you can call and know what to do and, and, you know, how to manage a situation. And in, speaking of coyotes, they, they definitely pose a danger to cats and small dogs and older, injured, slow-moving dogs. I mean, they, they're very smart, and they know how to mm-hmm. identify the weak ones in the pack. Do you, have you had any coyote attacks on owned animals or the thing that one would hear out in California, the baby put out in its carriage in the backyard kind of thing? Right. Um, actually, we haven't. Um, we have had little or none uh, that I could recall in my six years being here at Marin um, any attacks of a coyote on a person. Now, it's same thing. We do encourage uh, pet owners to make sure they keep their animals indoors, particularly cats, at night um, because right. of those um, situations. And we know coyotes' main diet is actually fruit. And I'll um, be darned. But, but they are opportunistic is what we call them. So, yes, if people are putting their dog food out on the on the deck or they're letting their cats out at night, um, the coyotes are opportunistic and will come and eat or come and, you know, a, a attack or injure the cat. So we, we encourage folks, there's a lot of dangers with leaving their cats outside at night alone. Um, but we do a lot of education with, in partnership with a great organization called Project Coyote. And they have a great website, and they have great tools to teach people how to, what we call, haze the coyote away from even wanting to hang around in their backyard or on their hillside or in their neighborhood. And they seem to really prove uh, to be successful. Isn't that interesting? So what are are some hazing techniques? A lot of it is just scaring them away, making the human being you know, as loud and obnoxious and as large as possible to keep them hazed away, the, making sure that access to any dog food or pet food that you leave outside is pulled in. There's certain plants that, of course, now I can't think of the names, but there's certain plants that you can, you can make sure you don't plant that would be attractive to them. Um, and it's just a lot of being aware about when the breeding season is for coyotes in your community because it would vary across the United States. Right, right. And, um, and so there's great, great handouts and um, um, tips on that Project Coyote website, or you can get to it through marinhumane.org. So that's, you really are a clearinghouse for all this information, all this support, mm-hmm. and all these different aspects of living with animals on our planet. So let's talk about new branding. So here's a nonprofit that sees that, you know, things have gotten a little old since 1907. Mm -hmm. And you're going to drop the word society, which is probably a great idea because there's a lot of confusion anywhere around the country where people are called humane society. You always have to say, but we're not the humane society of the United States because you need your own funding and you have your own mission and you don't 
that you may share some values in common with them, but they're a different entity. They're based in Washington, D.C. They're a lobbying force, you know, to change laws for the goods of animals. So uh, mm-hmm. dropping society is good, but new branding, you think of mobile or you think of the new Coke or you think of, you know, mobile t- makes the O red instead of blue and spends, I'm sure, scads of money around the planet making the red O. Or any company that changes its logo or brand, even FedEx, which, you know, was originally called Federal Express. Mm-hmm. And then they had to change it to FedEx because that's what, or IHOP. I mean, when you and I were kids, it was called International House of Pancakes, which Pancakes. people today probably <laughs> don't even know. So you change your name to Marin Humane. Do you have to hire a branding company and spend a bunch of money to come up with that new logo that isn't just a dog and a cat? How do, how do you do that as a nonprofit where you, don't want to waste money, but you do want to bring yourself into the new world. Yes, good question. Well, we went through this very methodically, and uh, we, we were pretty serious about wanting to make sure we do it right. Uh, Marine Humane hasn't changed its logo, you know, very often. So we knew we needed to, to bring in some experts in branding. Right, and particularly right. We, we found a company that specializes in nonprofits who wanted to work on their branding. And they happened to be in our community, so that was a nice thing. So we we took our time and set aside some of the funding. We we couldn't do it all. So on our launch, launch day, we couldn't um, have everything completely changed uh, over, so we know it's going to be gradual in many ways. But we hired a company to help facilitate the process. They they analyzed what what is our tone of voice, what is our true personality, what what are our struggles in the world of animal welfare regarding our identity, and they they called it the brandscape, which was an interesting exercise of putting our old logo, which of course had a dog and a cat in it, comparing it to many animal organizations, which oh, of course have a, a tail, a dog, right, a cat. right. So when we looked at that, it didn't make us stand out, and and at the same time, the way I, I really appreciated uh, our our process is we wanted to make sure we weren't being fake, that everything we were doing was being authentic and true to who we are. And they really helped us say, you know, we we are about how we make lives happy, which is our, our new tagline, that, that, oh, nice. that human-animal bond was not coming out, as well as the fact that, you know, we're pretty we're pretty serious when we're advocating for animals, when we're going through cruelty cases or protection issues. But at the same time, we're very playful in the sense that we don't care if we have dog or cat hair on our clothes. <laughs> you know, we, we allow our staff to bring their, their animals to work. Nice. We sort of side where that compassion for animals, the love that people have for their animals is really our unifying bond. So we, um, we had to look at how we wrote about ourselves, too, and... Uh, that was necessary to hire somebody to help come in because um, it, it pushed us to look at the whole concept of everything we do brings, for the most part, a smile to people's face. Yes. So our logo icon is actually part of a smile. And then we also talked about our work every day after they, they really facilitated a lot of discussions and review. We ended up saying our work is transforming lives, and that transformation could be on either side of the leash. That's right. That transformation 
maybe the, the pet guardian who goes through one of our dog training classes and finally gets it about how to communicate <laughs> and train your yes. dog, right? Yes. Um, the, the transformation was came about when we read um, letters from the inmates at San Quentin Prison who care for some of our dogs long-term for us. We have a prison program called Pen Pals. And when we read their letters about the transformation, the change that occurred from being in this awful prison, right? And, yes. And um, having having the ability to care and train one of our dogs in in their um, cell, you know, and in the firehouse, which is where, where they, they do the training classes, that told us, oh, we're changing the life of the animal who's getting better, getting trained, well, it's at San Quentin, but also we're transforming the life of this inmate. So then, then the sort of other circle was looking at all the, all the programs that we do out in the community, and including the reading program where we bring animals to libraries and to schools where the kids come and read a book to our dog team. And again, we're helping with the child being more comfortable and learning how to, a skill of reading, which is so important. And that's all through the use and the power of that animal coming to that school or that library. So the transformation and, and um, the work that we do really resonated with some of the, the new ways we were describing what we do. Because, again, when we said in the old days, you know, we're the Marine Humane Society, all they thought was our adoption shelter, dogs and cats, and it might be a sad place. When I would take people through our campus, they came, came away every time saying, I had no idea you did a summer camp program, right, or I had right. no idea you had the dog training program, or that you adopt out rabbits. So that made us all go to the fact that we needed to rebrand ourselves, and we needed to commit some of our funding um, for doing this, but we didn't go whole, whole, whole hog because we right. continue to raise money. And so um, the, the um, end result, uh, you know, so far we've got great response. People like the refreshed look. And, you know, from a management side, now we're more consistent with who's using our logo, what colors we're using. Because before, right. people were sort of putting it anywhere and everywhere. So we learned that, you know, there are some rules and regulations, like with football teams, of their logos and the colors. And, and as you said, a lot of the corporate logos are going even more simpler these days. So That's right. So we just, it was time for us to do that. So yours is what color? Um, it's kind of a scion, I guess they call it a scion blue. And then the words and the letters around um, saying we're in humane, because the U in humane is the smile. Nice. Um, marine humane is sort of a, a what they call a warm gray, so it might look a little <laughs> light black. I mean, all these you've become a, I, you've become an expert on all this. Clearly, it's hilarious, <laughs> so yeah. funny, and so, so it's a smile. Yeah, so the U is a smile. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what's the tagline? Lives made happy. Lives made happy. I mean, that just that says it all right there. I think it's fantastic to realize that the work has been going on all the time, but that the 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 kind of window dressing uh, you have such a gorgeous shelter. Your shelter was was spectacular way before other shelters were welcoming and beautiful for the people that came and for the animals in them. But interesting that 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 the kind of clothing that that your name had or that your printed materials had wasn't 
well describing you or or promoting you correctly. And how great to realize that because it would be easy as a director to say, look, we oh, maybe so, but we don't have time or money to spend on that. We've got lives to save. But you can only do that really effectively if you're re- involving as many people in the community as possible because it really is community-based. So if, if 100 more kids come to your summer camp, you've changed the lives of those 100 kids and all the animals that they'll interact with during their lives, right? Exactly, exactly. And we know that um, someday, you know, thank you for the, the kind words about our campus because we know it's gorgeous. Uh, we have been located in Novato, um, north part of the, the county, for over 50 years. And um, we have maintained our facility really, really well. And so it's not like it's falling down and, and we're going to have a crisis and, and need to raise money for that. But we are, you know, looking ahead the next 10 to 50 years and saying, what will we need? What will our right. be like? What will the community need? And so this was just sort of one step to say in, in laying the groundwork to say at some point, uh, we may need to be in the position of remodeling or replacing some parts of our campus. And um, so we, again, want to bring and expand our awareness of our organization, everything we do, but we also want to expand the involvement. So, we, you know, we're constantly asking people to not only maybe write a check for us, which is, of course, always nice, and we can right. use it wherever needed most, but we also... I love our volunteers and want to have more volunteers involved in the work we do. So um, it's an exciting era, and I think um, this sort of um, cohesive look and and voice uh, will go a long way for us. Well, I think it's very modern thinking, and I applaud it, and I can't wait to have you be our beneficiary in 2018 on President's Day weekend. For the return of the New Dog Film Festival, I have now I have to go back and think about my branding and logo, and oh my God, <laughs> what if the colors were wrong? Nancy McKenney, it's great to talk to you. Marin Humane is so wonderful and certainly putting a smile on a lot of faces and will continue to do so. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tracy. Bye-bye. Kiss your kitties, hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.